Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter number two. And of course, on Sunday mornings during this Christmas season, uh, we've been going through a Christmas sermon series entitled The Nativity. And we've been doing a study of the characters of the Christmas story. If you remember, several weeks ago, we started uh, the first week uh, with a sermon on the character of Joseph. And I entitled that sermon, Joseph, the most overlooked character of the Christmas story. The second week, we talked about Mary, the most overemphasized character of the Christmas story. Last week, we talked about the shepherds. I called that the shepherds, the delegation of the poor. And this morning, we're going to talk about the wise men. And I uh, entitled this sermon, The Wise Men, the Delegation of the Rich. And what we find here in Matthew chapter number two is the story of the wise men. We just read it, but I'd like you to see it again there in verse number one. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not thou least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard that the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The wise men are probably the most curious of the characters of the Christmas story. They may be the most controversial of the characters of the Christmas story. When it comes to the teaching of the Word of God and, and theology, there's a lot of different things that are taught about the wise men, a lot of beliefs about the wise men. And I'd like for us to look at these wise men today and, and look at what the Bible says about them. And I want to kind of divide our study about the wise men under two headings, and if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, then maybe you can uh, follow along with these two headings. I'd like to begin by talking about the misconceptions about the wise men, because uh, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, and they're not necessarily a big deal. I don't think that they are uh, a huge deal, but I think it's always good for us to know what the Bible actually says and teaches, and for us to be aware of the things in um, the Word of God. So we have the misconceptions about the wise men, but then I'd also like to look at the applications from the wise men. And I do believe that there are some things that God is trying to teach us through the wise men, and there are important things for us to understand. So let's begin with the misconceptions about the wise men. And a misconception, just to define it for you, is a view or opinion that is incorrect because it is based on faulty thinking or understanding. And there's lots of misconceptions about the wise men, and please don't misunderstand uh, what I'm about to say. I'm only... Uh, bringing this up to you because of the fact that we're talking about the wise men, and I think we should be aware of what the Bible teaches, but I am in no way uh, one of these individuals who likes to pick apart Christmas traditions, and, and you know, I'm not giving you these thoughts so that you can 
never sing a song about the wise men. In fact, we're going to sing a song about the wise men at the end of the service today. Uh, so I'm not against that. But I am for you having knowledge and for you to know and understand what it is that the Bible actually teaches. So let's look at some misconceptions about the wise men. I'm, I'm going to give you three of them. I'd like to give you three misconceptions and three applications. Three misconceptions, three applications. We'll do them as quickly as possible. Misconception number one is this, that there were three wise men. Uh, that's the first misconception that I want to bring up. And again, I'm not against the concept or the idea. We're going to sing We Three Kings just here in just a few minutes uh, when the sermon is done. I'm not against that, but you should be aware of the fact that the Bible doesn't actually tell us that there were three wise men. Now, there may have been three wise men. There may have not been three wise men. We don't know. But I want you to be educated biblically and understand that when we look at these Christmas characters and we look at these stories of the Bible, especially a story as important as the story of Christ, that we should be aware that the Bible teaches that there were wise men that showed up. The Bible does not tell us that there was three wise men. Now, why is it that we, where do we get this misconception regarding the three wise men? A lot of it has to do with tradition and things that we've been taught and told. Uh, but I think biblically, the reason that maybe people have drawn that conclusion is because of the fact that they brought three gifts. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, I'd like you to notice the Bible says, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him, notice, number one, gold, and number two, frankincense, and number three, myrrh. Nowhere in the story are we told that there was three. There may have been 30. There may have been one. I mean, not one. There's no way there was one. But there may have been two. There may have been three. Um, there may have been 10. I mean, we don't really know. What we do know is that they brought Jesus three different gifts. And I, I think because of the fact that they brought three different gifts, then we maybe make the assumption that there was three of them. But we don't know that for sure. There could have been a lot of them that brought these three gifts. One of them could have brought these three gifts. The Bible doesn't say. Over the, people, over the years, people have assumed that because of the three gifts, then there were three wise men. And of course, whenever you're putting on a Christmas play or something, it just makes sense to have three kids play the wise men, and we understand that. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. So I just want you to be aware of the fact uh, that that is a misconception regarding the wise men, uh, that there was three. Maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. The Bible doesn't say. We know there was three gifts, and that's good to know. So uh, misconception number one uh, is that there was three wise men. We don't know that for sure. And the reason this is important is because of the fact that we should always, as Bible-believing Christians and as biblicists, we should always understand uh, and, and always put importance onto what the Bible actually says. Uh, and, and even things like this. And again, I'm not opposed to singing about three wise men or, or, or thinking of three wise men, uh, but it's good for us to know there's, that's what tradition says, there's one thing that tradition says, and then there's what the Bible actually says. And it's good for us to know those things. So misconception number one, uh, there were three wise men, maybe, uh, maybe not. Here's misconception number two, and it is this, that the wise men showed up to the manger. Oftentimes when you uh, see maybe a nativity scene, or when you see the Christmas story uh, and it's uh, depicted in a play or a movie or something like that, you'll have the manger scene of the birth of Christ, and you'll have the shepherds there, and you will also have the wise men. And there's a misconception that oftentimes people maybe just assume that the wise men showed up to the manger 
on the day of the birth of Christ. Now, the shepherds were there. The Bible's clear about that. As far as the wise men, what the Bible tells us, and the Bible doesn't specifically tell us when it is that they got there, but what, based off what the Bible says, they probably showed up uh, to the birth of Christ about two years late. They probably were not there uh, until two years after the fact of the birth of Christ. And like I said, often you see the wise men depicted in the nativity scene or the nativity manger, but that is just not the case. Now, let me show that to you from the Bible. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse number 2. Now, here's what happened at the birth of Christ that the star showed up. The star showed up at the birth of Christ, and the wise men began to follow that star. Matthew 2 and verse 2 saying, the Bible says, saying, where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. I want you to notice that unlike the shepherds, the wise men traveled from the east. Now, exactly where that is, we don't know. Some people uh, assume it's the Orient or whatever, but the Bible doesn't really tell us. It just tells us it was the east. It was east of where Bethlehem was, but they traveled there. The shepherds came on the very same night. The wise men began their journey, began to travel, began to follow the star, um, on the day that Christ was born. Now, you may ask, well, what makes you think that they showed up maybe closer to two years later? Well, look at verse number seven, and we've already read the story of the wise men, and, and I'm going to give you some applications, but we're kind of jumping around just to show you some things and highlight some things there. Matthew 2 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, remember the wise men show up uh, to Jerusalem, and they get an audience with King Herod, and they show up and make this announcement. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? The Bible tells us when Herod had privately called the wise men, in verse number 7, then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired. The word inquired means he asked. He was getting information from them. Inquired of them diligently. Notice this words, uh, these words. What time the star appeared. They showed up and they said, we are here to worship the king of the Jews. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship the king of the Jews. So Herod asked the question, when did you see the star? What time the star appeared was the question that Herod asked. Now, of course, we've read the story. Herod attempts to trick the wise men, and he tells them, well, you go find him, and when you find him, you come tell me that I can come worship him also. He tried to outsmart the wise men, but they're called wise men for a reason. They outsmarted him, and of course, God revealed to them in a dream that they should not return to Herod because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And of course, we know the story that though the wise men did not return to him, Herod still attempted to uh, kill Jesus. Look at verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream, this is the wise men, that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So get the story. The wise men show up to Jerusalem. They said, we're here to worship uh, the king of the Jews. We've seen a star in the east. Herod, who is the king, uh, wants to kill Jesus because obviously people showing up saying, where's the king of the Jews? We know that he was recently born. He wants to kill Jesus. So he says, well, when did the star appear? And th they answer the question for him. Then he tells them, you go and find him. And when you found him, come and tell me that I can come worship him also. And uh, the Lord warns them in a dream that they should not return to Herod. But Herod already had some information. 
He'd already asked them the question, what time the star appeared? They'd already told him, well, we've been on a journey for this long. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and on all the coast thereof. Notice this, from two years old and under. Now, why did he pick that? Why did he, why, why did he start killing the children that were two years old and under, notice the words, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So the, he'd asked the wise men what time the star appeared. They obviously told him, we've been traveling for almost two years, about two years. It's been around two years. And when Herod realized they're not coming back, they're not coming to tell me where Jesus is, he says, well, I'm just going to kill all the children that were born within the time frame from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So the Bible actually seems to indicate that the wise men did not show up on the day of the birth of Christ, did not show up at the manger scene, but they probably showed up somewhere around uh, two years later. And if that's not enough proof for you, and I, if it's not enough proof for you, it's fine, it doesn't matter. I just think it's interesting, and I'm preaching about the wise men, so I thought I'd give you everything I can think of regarding the wise men. But let me just say this. The language of the passage also does not seem to indicate, when the wise men show up, the language of the, uh, of the passage does not in, seem to indicate that they found a babe lying in a manger. And let's just compare it. There are two Gospels that deal with the birth of Christ, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at both of them in this uh, series. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 2 and go with me to Luke chapter number 2. Uh, keep your place in Matthew chapter 2 and go to Luke chapter number 2. If you're there in Matthew, you go past the book of Mark into the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and look at verse number 15. Now, when the shepherds show up, they did show up on the day of the birth of Christ. I want you to notice the wording that we get in Luke chapter 2 about their experience. Luke chapter 2 and verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Because they're right there. They're just keeping their sheep, you know, not too far away from Bethlehem. So they said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us, verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, notice the wording, and the babe lying in a manger. So the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 that when the shepherds show up, they found the babe lying in a manger. Now let's compare that to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 when the wise men show up. In Luke 2.16, we see that the shepherds on the day of the birth of Christ, they found the babe lying in a manger. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, And when they were come, referring to the wise men, into, notice the words, the house. Not a stable, not a manger. We're now in a house. And when they were come into the house, they saw, notice the wording, the young child. Not the babe, not a baby, but a young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. So I want you to notice that the wording, not only does the context of the story itself tells us, that the fact that Herod decided to kill the children two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men tells us that the wise men have been traveling for probably close to two years in order to get to Jesus. The wording of the passage itself 
seems to indicate that they did not find a babe lying in a manger, but instead they found a young child living in a house. Uh, so we see that there's a misconception that the wise men showed up to the manger. And again, I'm not trying to ruin your Christmas or destroy your nativity scene, uh, but the wise men being there at the birth of Christ is just not an accurate thing. Go to Daniel chapter number two, if you would. Keep your place there in Matthew, Daniel chapter two. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, in the Old Testament, you'll probably land in the book of Psalms. After Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you have these big books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah, Lamentations, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, and I'd like you to uh, find Daniel chapter 2 in verse number 10. So I'm giving you these misconceptions uh, about the wise men. And again, this is maybe not the most important thing. When we get to the application, that's really where you need to pay attention. But I think these are interesting things, and I'm just giving these maybe by way of introduction. So we saw that there, there were three wise men. Misconception number one is that there were three wise men, and the Bible doesn't really tell us that. Maybe there were, maybe there weren't. We know there were three gifts. Another misconception is that the wise men showed up to the manger. And we know the Bible definitely doesn't tell us that. It tells us that they showed up to a house. It tells us that they found a young child, unlike the shepherds who found the babe lying in a manger. And we know that Herod uh, decided to kill, when he could not identify the child Jesus, decided to kill all the, two years, uh, the children that were two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Here's misconception number three. Misconception number three is this, that the wise men were astrologers, sorcerers, or uh, magicians. That the wise men were astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. Today, if you go to a non-King James church, you'll often find people refer to the wise men as the magi. And they talk about the wise men as being these sorcerers or these uh, magicians. And here's what I want you to understand, that the... The term wise men, and let me just be very honest with you, the term wise men is used in our King James Bible at times to refer to astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. There, the, the term wise men is actually used quite a bit in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. You'll find that kings often had this group of people referred to as wise men. And some wise men definitely were astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. Let me prove that to you. Daniel chapter 2, look at verse 10. We could look at a lot of passages on this. I'm not going to take the time to do it because it's obviously not that important. I just think it's interesting, and I want you to be the most educated church in town. Daniel chapter 2, look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter, Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asketh such things. Now, we're jumping right in the middle of a story, so let me just catch you up on the context. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He knows that this dream is important, and he needs it to be interpreted. The problem is he can't remember it. So he's gathered the wise men of his realm, and he's asked them to do th two things. He's asked them to interpret the dream. And of course, they res the response to that is, no problem, tell us the dream and we'll interpret, that, interpret it. But then he says, no, that's too easy. And how do I know you're not lying to me? I want, and he says, the thing is gone from me, verse 5. So he says, I want you to make known unto me the dream with the interpretation. He said, I want you to remind me what the dream was. If you can tell me what the dream was, then I'll know that you're wise enough to tell me the interpretation. This is what the 
wise men that are also referred to as Chaldeans are referring to here in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asketh such things. Notice the last part of verse 10. At any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. Don't you notice that the wise men that are assembled there are defined as magicians, astrologers, uh, and Chaldeans. And it is true that there are some wise men in the Bible that were astrologers, that were sorcerers, that were uh, magicians. But I want to make this point. Not all wise men in the Bible were astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. Some wise men were simply scientists. They were men of knowledge. They were men of wisdom. They were theologians. They were philosophers. Some wise men were godly men who feared the Lord. You say, we'll prove that. We'll look at the passage. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 11. Nebuchadnezzar wants the wise men to remind him what his dream was that he's forgotten and to give him the interpretation. Verse 11, and it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And the, of course, these are unsafe people speaking. That's why you see that lowercase g, plural gods. Verse 12, for this cause the king was angry and furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the wise men of Babylon tell King Nebuchadnezzar, we can't tell you what your dream was. And the if you tell us a dream, we'll give you the interpretation. But you want us to also know what your dream was? You don't even remember your dream. And Nebuchadnezzar gets so upset, he says, you're going to tell me my dream, and you're going to tell me the interpretation. And if not, I'm going to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. I'm going to have all the wise men rounded up and destroyed. Verse 13, and the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows. Now, Daniel, of course, is the main character of the book of Daniel. His fellows, of course, is referring to the next uh, co-stars of the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the Bible says that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. What does that tell us? That tells us that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were considered wise men. Now, were they magicians? No. Were they uh, sorcerers? No. Were they astrologers? No. But what they were was scientists. They were men of knowledge. They were men of wisdom. They were men who feared God. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were considered wise men. Uh, and some people even believe that the wise men that we read about in the uh, account of the birth of Christ were men that were uh, influenced and impacted by Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego um, while they were in Babylon. Maybe, maybe not. The Bible doesn't tell us that, so we need to be careful uh, with that. But the point is this, that the wise men are not necessarily astrologers, sorcerers, or magicians because Daniel and his three friends were also wise men, and they were none of those things. Magicians, by the way, uh, are, are something that God would put to death in the Old Testament, witchcraft and sorcery, Daniel was definitely not into those types of things, but yet he was still a wise man. You have a similar story towards the beginning of the Bible when Pharaoh had a dream and he needed it to be interpreted and none of his wise men in Egypt were able to interpret it, but Joseph was able to interpret the dream. Of course, if we kept reading here, I'm not going to do that. You, you can go back to Matthew chapter 2. We find that Daniel uh, ends up in telling Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and interprets the dream, and he saves the life of himself and his three friends and the rest of the wise men. So I want you to notice 
that it is a misconception to say that the wise men were astrologers or sorcerers or magi. And I understand that the Greek word uh, that is used for wise men here in the King James Bible is used for magicians and sorcerers in other places. Uh, it is the word that we get our English word magic from or whatever, but not every wise man in the Bible was a magician. And I just don't believe that God would use some sorcerer or magician in the Christmas story when God had put the death penalty Upon that. So, misconception number three the wise men were astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians is not, in my opinion, a biblical interpretation. You say, what were they? I believe they were men like Daniel. I'm not saying that they were influenced by Daniel. They might have been, but I believe that they were men like Daniel, like Shadrach, like Meshach, like Abednego. They were men of knowledge. They feared God. They were wise men. They were smart men. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar said about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter one that they were 10 times better than all of the other uh, Chaldeans that he had uh, in his realm. They were men of knowledge. They were men of wisdom and men of science. They weren't uh, probably into astrology, but they might have been uh, into astronomy. They might have uh, been those who uh, studied the stars and those things. Go back to Matthew chapter number 2. So we've talked about the misconceptions. Remember, I told you we're going to look at this in two different headings. The misconceptions about the wise men, the applications about the wise men. The misconceptions are these, that there was three. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. We don't know. That they showed up at the manger. The Bible definitely does not seem to indicate that at all. And that the wise men were astrologers or sorcerers or magicians or magi uh, is probably not the case. They were probably just men who feared God and who knew knowledge, who had knowledge, who knew science, and they were wise men. So those are the misconceptions. Let's move on to the applications. Applications from the wise men. We look at the misconceptions about the wise men. Let's shift gears and look at the applications of the wise men. The first application is this. I gave you three misconceptions. I'd like to give you three applications this morning, and I'll give these to you as quickly as we can, and we'll finish up. Application number one. What can we learn from the story of the wise men? And what we can learn is this, that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, notice these words, from the east to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly where these wise men were from. We know that they were from the east of Jerusalem. That could have, there's a lot of locations on the east of uh, the nation of Israel, but we know this, that they were not from the nation of Israel. We know that they were not Jews. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells us that they came from the east. The Bible tells us it took them two years to get there. So they're coming from a pretty long ways. And the Bible says that when they showed up, verse 2, they said this, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? If they were Jews, they probably would not be saying it that way. They wouldn't show up saying, where is the king of the Jews? They'd be saying, where is the king if they were Jews? The fact that they came from the east, they traveled two years to get there, and they show up saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and I come to worship him, tells us that these men were probably Gentiles. They were not uh, Jews. They were not like the shepherds who were just local people from the location there. They were men that came from afar. Not only, and it's interesting, because when you have the story of 
Christmas, when you have the Christmas story and when you study the characters of the Christmas story, of course, we've looked at Mary, we've looked at Joseph. Next week, we'll look at the angels and we'll look at, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But when you look at the delegations, you have two very distinct delegations that show up. One is a group of probably young, and I say probably because we don't know, we know this, that when you look at the shepherds in the Bible, it seems like they always chose the youngest child to be a shepherd, the youngest kid. So probably young, Jewish, local, poor kids are invited to the birth of Christ. And then two years later, we have a group of probably old, Gentile, wise, and rich individuals who show up to see the king of the Jews, which was born in Jerusalem, born in Bethlehem. Look at verse 11, Matthew 2 and verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him. And notice, these are expensive gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What we know about the wise men or what we can gather from these scriptures is that they were probably not Jews. They were probably Gentiles. They were uh, definitely men of means. They had some sort of wealth and position because they don't come empty-handed. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. And what we learn, the first application we see from the wise men is this, that the gospel is for everyone, rich and poor, uneducated and wise, Jew and Gentile, all are invited to come worship the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He's for the poor shepherd, for the rich wise man. Keep your place there in Matthew chapter 2. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 10. And then do me a favor. When you get to Acts, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. We're going to be coming back to Acts for the remainder of the sermon, so I'd like you to be able to find it quickly, and specifically Acts chapter number 10. So applications from the wise men, application number one is this, the gospel is for everyone, rich and poor, uneducated and wise, Jew and Gentile. You know what I, and this, this, is, what, this is what Jesus, this is what the crowd that comes to Jesus should look like. This is what the crowd that comes to Jesus uh, should, should be like. Jesus said that my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. It's just interesting to me that at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, God made sure that there was a delegation of the Jews and there was a delegation of the Gentiles. There was a delegation of the poor and there was a delegation of the rich. There was a delegation of the young and there was a delegation of the old. And the idea is this, that Jesus is for everyone. Acts 10 verse 34. Acts 10 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word accepted means they're not rejected. Jesus said, anyone that comes to me, he said, I will and by no means cast them out. So the idea is this, that the gospel is for everyone. And one thing I like about Verity Baptist Church is that this is a diverse church. And I realize that usually when people use the word diversity today, they really mean perversity, and that's not what I'm that's not the context in which I'm using it. But I love the fact that this church is really just, 
an assembly of all sorts of believers. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Rich, poor, educated, not educated, living in a nice neighborhood, living in not a nice neighborhood. Hey, we can all come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christmas story exemplifies for us the fact that the gospel is for everyone. Rich, poor, uneducated, educated, Jews, Gentiles, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in His sight. Keep your place there in Acts chapter 10. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. Let me give you the third, the second application, excuse me. The first application from the wise men is this, that the gospel is for everyone. Here's the second application that I'd like to show you. And it is this, that there are, there always has been, and there is even today, There are people searching for the truth, and God will help them. There are people all over this world who are searching for the truth. I want you to notice that these wise men were searching, they were seeking, they were looking for something, and what the Christmas story tells us just right at the beginning, right at the beginning of what we would call the New Testament, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that there are those who are searching for God and that God will help them. Look at verse 1 again. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east. They were searching. They came from the east to Jerusalem. How did they get there? Verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For, notice this, we have seen his star in the east. I want you to notice that these men got a little help. They got help from God. God sent a star that alerted them to the fact that something was going on, and they were alerted to the fact, the Bible says they saw a star in the east and are come to worship him. Again, I don't believe that they were worshiping the stars. I don't think that they were sorcerers, but they might have been studying the stars. And I think that these wise men who, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, were probably uh, scientists of some some degree. They were uh, into astronomy. They studied the stars. And studying the stars, especially in the ancient world, was not an unheard of thing. In fact, in the ancient world, this is how people travel. Today we have GPS and we have maps and all sorts of things, but in those days they would find the North Star, they would orient themselves with the constellations and the movement of, uh, of the stars or the movement of the earth as we moved across the stars, and, and they would use this to travel. And I think these wise men must have noticed, hey, there's a new star up there. There's something that we, wasn't, that wasn't there yesterday. Something is happening. And they began to maybe ask questions and inquire and study and learn. And they show up two years later. They say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. But I wanted to let, uh, tell you something. That that star appeared because God put it there. Because God knew that there were wise men in the east. And yeah, maybe they weren't Jews. Maybe they weren't Hebrews. Maybe they weren't of the, of the heritage of the people of God. Maybe they didn't know all the prophecies and all the things, but they were searching and they were seeking and there's people that are searching all over this world and God will help those who are seeking the truth. Say, what will he do? He'll send a star. Look at verse 7. 
Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and, notice these words, search diligently. They were searching, they were seeking, they, were, they knew there was something that they needed to, that they needed. Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring him word again, that I may come and worship him also. And we know that Herod was lying. But God sent them a star. I want you to understand this. There are people searching for the truth. And for those that are searching for the truth, God will help them. For the wise men, it was a star. For you, it might have been a YouTube video. Do you understand what I'm saying? For you, it might have been an invitation someone left on your door that prompted you to come to church. And then you came to church and somebody gave the gospel to you and they presented Jesus to you and you got saved. It might have been, see, there, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of people that have been affected by the new IFB. And everywhere I go and everywhere I travel, people come up to me and I'm thankful for it. And they're telling me, I got saved watching your Bible's Way to Heaven video on this. Or I got saved watching the Spanish Bible's Way to Heaven video you made. Or I got saved watching another pastor's Bible Way to Heaven. And praise the Lord for it. But when I ask them questions, you know what I find is that it's not that they went on YouTube and they searched Bible's Way to Heaven. And Pastor Jimenez shows up and I gave him the gospel and they got saved. Usually they were searching for something else. They were looking for something else. They were watching some video that led them to some video that led them to some video that led them to some documentary that they watched and then they watched the end and then they got saved. And the story of people's salvation is usually this. Someone invited you to church. Some co-worker gave you the gospel. Some family member told you, come and see. Somebody uh, left an invitation on your door. A YouTube video popped up. A documentary somehow uh, ended up on your feed. Whatever it is, here's what I'm telling you. There were many of you who were searching as well. And you know what a loving, merciful, providential God did for you? He sent this star. He sent a star to help you, to guide you, and to lead you to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting to me, and I don't want to delve too much into this. Go back to Acts if you would. What's interesting to me is this, that in the Bible, a star is often used to represent angels. If you remember in the book of Revelation, when Satan takes the third part of the angels with him in his rebellion, the Bible says that his tail brought the third part of the stars. Now, I don't believe that this star was an angel. I think this star was literally physically a star, like the stars we see up in the sky. But I just want to just make this connection that angels are often represented in the Bible as stars, and the word angel simply means messenger. For example, in the book of Revelation, in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, who's standing in the midst of the seven lamps, and the Bible says that he holdeth seven stars in his right hand. And the Bible tells us that the stars are the angels of the churches. But those angels are not angelic beings like what you and I usually think of. They're the pastors of the churches. Because the word angel simply means messenger. And what God sends is a star, which is often represented by an angel. And the word angel simply means messenger. Sometimes it's an angelic being. But sometimes it's a pastor. Sometimes it's a soul winner. But here's all I'm saying is this, that there are people out there who are searching and seeking for the truth. And when they are, God tries to help them. He sends them a star. Look at Acts chapter 10. 
In Acts chapter 10, we have a famous story of a man named Cornelius. He's a wise man. Look at what it says, Acts 10 verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the, notice these words, Italian band. He's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. A devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to uh, the people and prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And look, I want you to understand something. Cornelius was a Gentile man, but please get this, he was not saved. In fact, he gets saved. The whole chapter 10 is all about Cornelius and his house getting saved. But you know what he was? He was a Gentile who feared God, gave much alms, and prayed to God. But he wasn't saved. He was seeking. He was searching. So what did God do? He sent him a star. An angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius... Now, here's what I want you to understand. In the Bible, God does not make exceptions regarding salvation. Let me give you a verse. Go to Acts. You're there in Acts 10. Go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. While you turn there, I'll just read these famous words to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Bible teaches that salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ, period, end of story. That's what the Bible says. If we're biblicists and we're Bible-believing Christians, we just say, that's what the Bible says, that's it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But what often happens is that heretics and also well-meaning, compassionate, Bible-believing Christians will often feel the need to make an excuse for God. Because it's hard in our human finite mind to be able to reconcile. How do you reconcile this idea that God is a compassionate, merciful God? That he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then this idea that there's a possibility that there are people out there who are seeking and searching for the truth, but they don't know who Jesus is. They've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. How do you reconcile these two? And what has happened is that heretics have came up with doctrines that are not biblical. And then oftentimes, good, godly, saved, compassionate people will think, well, I'll just go with that because that makes the most sense and it makes me feel good about God. You say, what are you talking about? Here's, let me read to you an example. I don't have it in my notes. I asked one of the staff guys to, to text this to me. Here's a quote by Billy Graham. Billy Graham's one of the most famous preachers who ever lived. And here's what he said, and I quote. These are words out of the mouth of Billy Graham. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling the world for his name, 
whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ because they have been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I believe that they are saved and that they are going to be with us in heaven. That's what Billy Graham said. So I don't think you should speak against Billy Graham. Well, wait a minute. Billy Graham said they might not even know the name of Jesus, but I think they're going to go to heaven. That goes against the Bible, Acts 4.12, when it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, I'm not going to be loyal to a man over the word of God. The Bible says that salvation comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But then we have this problem, and we think, well, then what happens to those people that have never heard the gospel or never had a clear presentation of the gospel? Somebody's seeking the truth. Do we really believe that God is just going to send them to hell? And please understand something. God is a loving God. God loves souls more than you do. God loves souls more than I do. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God is on a hair trigger to try to save. But God is not going to make exceptions and go against his own word. Well, then what, how do you reconcile these two thoughts? Here's, what you, here's how you reconcile it. You realize that a providential loving God who wants people to be saved, who loves people, that he understands that if there's some wise man in Singapore, in Iran, in China, in Hong Kong, if there's some wise man in Australia or England or somewhere in this world or in the United States of America who's not saved and never heard the gospel and doesn't understand that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, but they are seeking and they are searching. They're like Cornelius. They're praying and they know that there's something out there. God's not just going to make some exception and say, well, I know I said that it was just through Jesus. I know Jesus said, no, again, no one comes to the Father by me. I'm just going to let him in. God's not going to disobey and go against his own word. But you know what God will do? He'll send a star. He'll make sure that they come across something, that they come across someone, that they find some way, they find some star. Look, did the star bring salvation to the wise men? I believe we're going to see the wise men in heaven. I believe the wise men got saved. But did the star save them? No. But the star led them to the Lord Jesus Christ where they could experience salvation. God doesn't make exceptions, but don't let that, don't judge God foolishly. Don't charge God foolishly and think, well, then God must be unjust. No, no, no. God doesn't make exceptions, but God is not willing that any should perish. And I believe that if there's somebody out there seeking and searching for the truth, that God will help them. And by the way, didn't God help you? We like to think like, oh, well, I'm an American and I was seeking for God. Really? Because the Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. The Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. You say, well, I was seeking for the truth. And oftentimes within the new IP, people say, yeah, I came to Christ through the truth or movement and I was seeking for truth. And here's the thing. You think you were seeking for the truth. But you don't realize that God was seeking for you. Well, I got into politics and I was seeking the truth. God put a star in your path and said, come this way. I don't really care about politics and I don't really care about the, you know, 
freedom movement, and I don't really care about being an independent, and I don't care about all that stuff, but if that's going to get you to watch this, and watch that, and watch this, and eventually you're going to get saved, then I'll lead that star. You think you were searching for something, God was searching for you! And maybe what we need to do is humble ourselves and realize that God is more compassionate than we are. God is more powerful than we are. God is more loving than we are. And if a providential God knows, there's some guy in India. Do you realize that here at Radio Baptist Church, we literally every week get emails from people all over the world? I mean, places that we couldn't, we don't go, India, Hong Kong, I mean, Muslim, the Muslim world... We get emails and people saying, I stumbled across this and I stumbled across that and I found your channel, I found this video, somebody handed me this documentary and I got saved. And I think, way before YouTube, God was sending links for the wise men. See, we, we today, people are watching YouTube, he's like, well, let me put a star in your way that'll lead you the right way. These men were looking up at the stars and God said, let me put a star in your way that'll lead you to Jesus. So we see this application, that the gospel is for everyone. We see this application, that there are people searching for the truth. And I believe that anyone who's searching for the truth, God is going to help them. But God is not going to make exceptions for them. Let's look at our, 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 our other wise man here, Cornelius. He was searching for the truth. Is, isn't that true? Acts 10 verse 2, one that feared God, gave much alms. And prayed to God. Verse 3. An angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Now if you stop reading there, you might make the assumption. Well, God sent him an angel and, and I didn't get an angel. But wait a minute. What did the angel do? Did the angel preach the gospel to him? Did the star preach the gospel to him? Look at verse 4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. Verse 5. And now, notice what the angel says. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Notice the angel did not preach the gospel to him. Because God will not disobey his own law. But you know what the angel said? He said, go find Peter. He'll tell you what to do. Jesus himself appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. He did not preach the gospel to him. But he sent someone to preach the gospel to him. God will not make exceptions against his own word. But when God knows that there's somebody seeking and searching and ready to be saved and receptive, He'll go out of his way to help them. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. Here's what's interesting. Is that in the story of the wise men, we find that there were people there who had the knowledge. They had the truth. Look at verse number 8. Well, look at verse 7, just to get the context. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently that what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I might come and worship him. And when, he had, uh, when, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And as the star directed them to 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they uh, should not return to Herod, they departed, verse 12, excuse me, into their own country another way. Verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Look at uh, verse uh, number uh, 5. Well, look at verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Once you notice that Herod, he asks the chief priests and the scribes, where is Christ supposed to be born? And they, without hesitation, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew. But did they go? They knew. But did they get a star? The wise men didn't know. But they were receptive. And look, this is why I tell soul winners. I get it. Look, I get it. We go out there. You go for an hour, you go for an hour and a half, you go for two hours, and you end up in a, some nice North Natomas neighborhood, and you're knocking, and people aren't receptive, and they're being nice, but they don't want to hear it, and they're no soliciting and shutting the door and all these things. And you can get discouraged, but please understand something, that there are people out there who are seeking and searching. Amen. And that takes us to application number three. I said application number one was this. The gospel is for everyone. Application number two is this. There are people searching for the truth, and God will help them. Here's application number three. We need to be willing to be a star. We need to be willing to be that star that will lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 again. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over the, where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped them. And when they had opened their uh, treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Go back to our other wise man, Acts chapter 10. Remember Cornelius? The angel shows up and says, you need to find Peter. He'll tell you what to do. Acts chapter 10, verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? I won't take the time to read all of it, but Peter begins uh, to talk to them and minister to them. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, he's preaching the gospel to them. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. That's Cornelius in his house. And they of the circumcision, the Jews that were with Peter, which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles, on Cornelius and his family, all also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. In the story of Cornelius, we find a man who was seeking, searching. He knew there was something out there. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know the gospel. And the Bible tells us that God just made an exception, let him into heaven. No. But you know what the Bible tells us? that God made sure that a soul winner came across his path. God made sure that a star brought him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the moral of the story is this. You and I need to be willing to be that star. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're there in Acts, you go 
pass the book of Romans into 1 Corinthians. Many of you know I was born in Venezuela. It's a country in South America. We moved to the United States when I was four years old. I'm an American. I'm legal, all right? I served the United States Air Force, blah, 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 whatever. Whatever you need to know. Just stinking Republicans. And I was born in a Christian home. I was born in a Baptist home. As a teenager, I was a soul winner. And years and years after we'd been here already for a while, uh, my aunt, who comes to this church, my aunt Omaida and her two sons, uh, one of which comes to our church as well, Naum, my cousin, uh, they, they came to stay with us. They came several times. I don't remember which time this was, but uh, I just remember he, I was a young teenager. He was a little older teenager, and we were soul winning. We were doing soul winning together. And, we were, and he had been in, I mean, I was born in Venezuela. I'd been here practically my whole life. He had literally just been here for like two weeks. And we knocked on a door, and this lady opens the door, and we ask, you know, we invite her to church, and we start going through the questions, you know, for sure you died today if you're on your way to heaven. And she said no, and we said, if we could show you from the Bible how you could know for sure, would you be interested? And she said, sure, and she began to hear, and she was polite. And about halfway through the gospel presentation, the whole gospel kind of clicked, the fact that salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ alone, minus nothing, plus nothing. It's a gift. You just accept it by faith. You call upon Christ, and that's how you get saved. It clicked, which usually is a good sign. Uh, but with this lady, she, she immediately got flustered and upset, and she said, I, I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that. She said, I can't believe that salvation can only be through Jesus Christ, and that there's no other way. And then she looked at me, who was presenting the gospel to her, and my cousin, Owen, was standing next to me, and she said, I just, I cannot believe, I mean, what if there was just some guy in Venezuela, <laughs> literally what she said, who's just Never heard of Jesus. I can't, just, I can't believe that God would just send him to hell. And I looked at her and I said, well, I was born in Venezuela and this guy just got here from Venezuela and we're both here knocking on your door trying to get you saved. <laughs> you know what the moral story is this. And instead of making all these excuses about how God would let people die and go to hell, we should just be willing to be the star yeah. that would shine the light on the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. Notice these words. Even as the Lord gave to every man. You know that God has ordained? God has ordained that every person in this world get the gospel. God has ordained that there is a minister who would give the gospel to every man. Who has God ordained for you to give the gospel to? Because there are people you know in your life that I'll never know, I'll never come across. Now, if you won't do it, God will find another star. But you know what we should do? Instead of charging God foolishly and making excuses for God, we should just be willing to be the star. We should be willing, we should understand that God is a loving God and he 
is giving opportunities and he's not going to make exceptions. He's not going to sin against his own word. But if there's people out there that are seeking and searching, he will do everything in his power to get their attention, to send a star, to send something to get them to go down the journey, to go down the road where they would finally end at the Lord Jesus Christ and to make that easier for people. You and I should just be willing to be that star. To say, here my Lord, send me. Go back to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9. We're learning about the wise men. We saw the misconceptions. Misconception number one, there were three wise men. Maybe, maybe not. Misconception number two, the wise men showed up in the manger. The Bible does not seem to indicate that. Misconception number three, the wise men were astrologers, sorcerers, and magicians. I doubt it. I think they were probably men like Daniel, wise men, scientific men, men who were studying the stars, who were seeking and searching, who noticed something that caught their attention, and they began to go down that road that brought them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we saw the applications. The gospel is for everyone, rich and poor, wise and foolish, rich and old, Jew and Gentile. God is no respecter of persons. We see that the gospel is for everyone. We see that there are people everywhere searching for the truth. And God will help them. God will send them a star to lead them down the path of salvation. If they're seeking for the truth. But there were people in Judea who knew exactly where Christ was. And they died and went to hell. And the last application is this, that you and I need to be willing to be that star to be the vessel that God can use to bring people to Christ. Matthew chapter 2, let's finish up with reading verse number 9. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child would marry his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were wise men. And wise men today would still seek for Jesus. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these stories, these applications. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving God, a providential God. As much as we love souls, you love them more. As much as we're willing to go and seek out the lost, you were willing to send your son to seek and to save that which was lost. And you still, even today, will send a star. You won't leave a Cornelius down. If they're out there looking and searching, you won't make an exception. Billy Graham's not right about that. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But you'll send a star that will lead them to Jesus. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be willing to be that star. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. just want to give you a couple of reminders before we go today. First of all, I want to remind you to be back tonight, 6 p.m., for the evening service. We call the Sunday night service the most exciting.